What a rich, rich text that is. I always love singing that song. If you would open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to continue on in our series this month. of A look in the book of Deuteronomy, series entitled, This is the Life. And today we are at chapter 7. Again, a reminder that our senior pastor, Dr. Weldon, is on his sabbatical till the end of the month, so continue to be praying for him as he is uh, getting this chance to be refreshed and be praying he comes back beginning of February, ready to lead us in the direction that the Lord would have us go. This time, though, let's give our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And remember, this is the Word of God. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He'll not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Jump down to verse 17 with me if you would. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispose of them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. 
and he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Let's pray together. Father, it's our prayer that your spirit would come and teach us this morning as we look at this portion of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what a radical transition it is from becoming a, being a son or daughter and becoming a husband or wife? Your identity changes. Your priorities change. But why did God design it so? Well, one reason is it's to reflect the image of the re- relationship that we have with Christ. It's, it's, us, it's time for us to leave our former ways, and cleave to Him. You know, we're much more comfortable living in friendship with the world than we are living the way Christ would have us be and being united to Him. We have noted over the past couple of weeks as we've looked at our study in Deuteronomy that there are real-life issues that are happening to those people that are the same for us. And as we continue to, to, in our study this morning, this passage, we see that there are three things that are revealed to us about our relationship with Jesus when we are married to Jesus. We're going to see that we are sacred, we're going to see that we are selected, and we're going to see that we are sanctified because of Jesus. And on each one of those topics, we're going to stop and we're going to look at what's a fact and what's fiction about those things. We're going to see how Jesus is necessary in every aspect of our lives. If we're going to be the people of God who he's calling us to be, then we need to understand that Jesus is central in every part of our lives. So let's get started here. Let's first look, consider that uh, we are sacred. Here's the fact. God's people are holy people. God's people are holy people. God declares in verse 6 of our text here this morning that his people are people holy to the Lord. We are justified people. Why would God say that in verse 6, that his people are holy? Well, you've got to back up a little bit and understand what these people hearing these words would have thought of immediately They would have thought back to a time before they were ever born. The people know that they are descendants of Abraham and that they're about to enter into the promised land that Abraham had been promised by God. You can be sure that Father Abraham was on their minds every day as they grew closer to that promised land. They would have been drawn to the account in Genesis 15. Remember in Genesis 15, 6, when God declared that Abraham was righteous. In Genesis 15, 15 God and Abraham are, are, are having a conversation. And Abraham says to God, I, I still don't have any children. So God takes Abraham outside into the, the, the black, clear night and, and shows him all the stars that are up there. 
and says to him, your descendants are going to be more than you can even count. Folks, we live in a very small Milky Way. And in our small galaxy, there's over 100 billion planets. And God's promise to Abraham as he took him out there is to tell him, your descendants are going to be numerous. And Abraham believed God. This is, of course, the passage that Paul goes to uh, to prove the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, in Romans chapter 4. And you should note that it's the first time in the Bible that the ideas of faith and justification are, are linked together. Abraham, Abraham had to look at the facts of his own experience and recognize that his age and the age of his wife, uh, that, that it was going to be very hard to have children. He recognized that, that the way humanly looking at things, that there's no way that this was going to happen. And despite all the evidence to the contrary, Abraham believed God. Larry Richards has a, has a, a beautiful phrase describing this, this, this type of faith. He says, faith faces the facts, but it also faces the fact of God. Faith faces the fact, but it also faces the fact of God. You see, Abraham's faith was not such a, not one that was simply like, well, I hope things are going to work out. I'm going to trust that things might possibly work out. No, that's not it at all. Abram looked at the facts and he said, there's no way, there's absolutely no way, but my God is also one of the facts in this experience and he's been faithful to me. I will trust him despite all the other evidence to the contrary. And so we see here a glorious example of saving faith. And because of this, this forces us to this question, and that is, have you exercised this kind of saving faith in God? Have you trusted that Christ is who he says he is, and that the promises of salvation are what Christ say that they are? Abram faced the hardest of trials, and because God was more real to him than his trials, he continued to trust in God. So God justified Abraham, not because of anything that Abraham had, did, had done, but because he believed God. And he justifies the Israelites the same way. He declares them holy, not because of what they have done, but because of the faith that they have. And he does the same with us. He justifies us not because of anything that we have done, but he regenerates our heart and we have faith in Jesus Christ. Children of God, you are holy people. You are sacred people. You need to understand where it is that you stand with your Father. You are holy. You are set apart. You are justified. You are sacred. And that's a fact. Well, let me tell you what's fiction when we talk about this. Here's what's fiction. Because we are holy, sin is no longer a problem. We know that's not true, don't we? 
The people of God are first identified as, as holy, and because of this, we are to separate ourselves from sin. We need to live our lives like we are holy people. We need to separate ourselves from the things of this world. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me again. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me. All these other seven tribes that were listed in our passages this morning, that they're pictures of sin. When you follow the things of this world, what it does is it keeps you from following God. We read in verse 5, But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. Verse 5 shows us the need for the the totality of getting rid of the things that are vying for our hearts. God wants you to look around you and see what are the things that you're longing for more than God. What are those things? Is it power or prestige, sex, money? Could it be that you want to be liked by your friends or, or loved by another? And none of those things by themselves are wrong. But when you want those things more than you want Christ, they are sins. We all have sins that we struggle with. And God tells us to drive these things out of our lives. And the language in verse 5 is very clear to us that we can't flirt with these things. Look, look at those, those words that are used there. Break, dash, chop, and burn those things that are vying for your heart. John Piper says, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. You see, sin is what we do when we love ourselves more than God. Every time we sin, we chase after the things of the world. What we're, what we're declaring is, I am God, and God is not. I love me the most. I am the center of my universe. My world revolves around me. I don't trust God knows what's best for me. I'm going to do things my way. This is not holy living. This is not holy thinking. You are the people of God. Because of this, you must separate yourself from your sin. Christ came to break the power of sin over us. There is power in the cross. So this raises the question, well, how can this be? How can we really be holy? Well, we can be holy because God chose you to be holy. You were selected by God. Our second thing we want to look at is that that we're selected. Here's a fact. God's love for his people is an unconditional love. Pick up in in the second part of verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people 
for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. His love for Israel is not conditioned on anything commendable in them. They were not more powerful, they were not more numerous or moral than any of the other nations when God chose them. The only basis for their choosing was God's electing love. Think about these people for for a moment. What do we know about them? That they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and what do we know? Well, we know that they were a grumbling lot, right? They, They were never satisfied. They were never pleased. God kept providing for their needs, and yet they were always complaining. And the same is true for us, if, if we want to be honest. We must admit that before God made you his child, there was nothing in you that would commend you to him. Or our, best, our, our best actions were corrupted by impure motives. Our worship was phony. Our hearts were selfish. God simply chose to make us a recipient of his love. God wooed us to him with his love. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says this in verses 8 and 9, when we're talking about the mystery of our election unto salvation, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. The facts are clear. If you are a child of God, it's not because of anything that you have done. It's because God loved you first. All right, if that's a fact, what's fiction about this? Well, here's what's fiction. Because of your actions... God might change his mind. God might decide you're not lovable. We read this in in verse 8 of our text. In the second part there. And it is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Again, when the people heard this, they would have thought back, well, what's the oath? that God swore to our fathers? What's the promise that he made to Abraham? Well, you remember there in Genesis 15, and we don't have time to to go back and look at it this uh, this morning in detail. I'll just summarize it, but be good Bereans. Go home this afternoon, read Genesis 15, come back next week and tell me if I got it right or not. But in Genesis 15, what we see is that God is making a covenant with Abraham. And, and, and what God does is he has Abraham take uh, animals and they slaughter them, uh, cut them in half. One half they put, would put here, one half they'd put over here. And what you do in those days when you, when you cut a covenant is the two parties would walk in between the, the cut pieces uh, of that. And, and the implication was that if I do not fulfill my part of the covenant, 
then let this happen to me. May I be treated like these animals if I do not keep my part of the covenant. But something very, very interesting happened that day. We're told that Abraham went into a, a trance or a deep sleep, depending on your translation. And what he sees is a smoking pot walking between these pieces. It's an image of God walking between these pieces. And God is declaring that if I do not keep my part of the covenant, let this happen to me. But you see what happens is Abraham never walks through that. So what God is saying is, Abraham, if you do not keep you're part of the covenant. Let this happen to me. Christ is the consummation of that covenant. Christ came and, and he took our penalty for sin. God knew all along that we were not going to keep our part of the covenant. So we don't have to worry that our actions all of a sudden one day is going to turn God off to, to us and he's no longer going to love us. He fulfilled that in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our final point today. You see that we are sacred people and we're selected by God. Then we need to understand that God is going to continue to work in our lives every day. We need to understand that it's necessary for us to be made more like Jesus. The theological term for being made more like Jesus is sanctification. Here's the fact. God continues to work in the life of his children. God will not just select and declare us sacred, but he'll grow us into the people that he wants us to be. God is always working on on our behalf and on the behalf of his people. If we look closely at verses 1 and 2, we'll see that when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, and when he clears away those many nations, and then down in verse 2, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and, and you defeat them. You see, God is the one who's working here. He is the one who is working on behalf of his people all the time. God is working in your life every day, and he's making you more like Jesus. But he's going to do it in his timing and on his schedule, not on yours. Sanctification is a process. Look at, look at verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. God works in the life of his people on his time schedule because he knows what's best for us. Sometimes we might think, come on, God, I'm not making the progress that I think I should in my Christian life. What's, what's going on here? If you find yourself being frustrated by, because you're not growing as quickly as you'd like. I encourage you to take a step back and listen to what you're really saying. What you're saying is, Lord, you're not doing it right. 
That's not the case at all. God knows what's best. Don't tell him that you know better. Don't be tempted to run out ahead of God's schedule for your life. But we can be certain that our sanctification is going to be complete because our justification has already happened. Again, in our text, we see this so beautifully illustrated in verses, uh, picking up in verse 17. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispose of them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh, to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. It's a picture coming out of, of Egypt. It is a picture of, of God's people being delivered. And, and, and he delivered them from their oppression. And now we can be certain that he's going to continue to do the same thing. The same God who delivered them from slavery and, opp and oppression in Egypt was going to slowly, little by little, clear out the other nations, the other sins, so that they could have the life that God wanted them to have. He's going to do the same thing for us. The same God who delivered us from the slavery and the oppression of sin, the same God who, who justified us, who, who, who declared that we are sacred, is going to even now, slowly, little by little, clear out the bad and scary things in our hearts so that we can have the life that God wants us to have. Remember, Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. All right, so if that's the facts about sanctification, what's, what's fiction? Well, fiction is the lie that Satan loves to tell us. And it's this, that we are on our own in this world. Every time God tells his people they're going to face challenges, he lets them know that he's going alongside them. But look at your, real quick here in verse 21. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst. Verse 22, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Verse 23, the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion. Verse 24, and he will give their kings into your hands. The people of God are never going out on their own. God is with them. I want you to remind you, Whatever you're going through in your life, Jesus is there working on you, making you more like himself. There's nothing going on that's a surprise to Jesus. Though you're dealing with something that might be a terrible thing, it might be a heartbreaking thing, it's there to make you more like Jesus. So therefore... Let me encourage you, do not fixate on the problem. God didn't tell his people here in Deuteronomy, worry about those people. He, he put it on himself. 
fix your eyes on Jesus as you go through whatever the Lord may be taking you through. Go to Christ. It's okay to fall down on your knees and to cry out and tell Him, I don't like this, this is hard. Help me, guide me, encourage me, teach me. These Israelites were entering a new land where every tribe that was already there was bigger and stronger and more numerous and more powerful than them. There's no way that they could go into this land by themselves. And God never intended for them to do that. Yet God was with them every step of the way. And Jesus is with you every step of the way in your life. It's time for us as God's people to quit chasing after the things of this world. We need to understand that we are the bride of Christ. We need to understand the centrality of Christ in our lives is necessary if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be. He's declared you to be sacred. He has selected you by his love. And he's sanctifying you this very day for your good and for his glory. Jesus came to dash and burn and crush the lies of the evil one and free us from Satan's bondage so that we may enjoy peace with him. Quit looking for the things in this world and instead look to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, the, the riches that are found in your word are, are so true and so deep, Lord. I pray that you would take just a portion of these today and stir them in our hearts and in our minds, work them over and over, encourage us by your word. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be faith, faithful people to you. Lord, that the, those besetting sins that, that we're fighting against, Lord, we, we pray that uh, Christ would draw near and that he would defeat those in our lives. Lord, thank you for working in the lives of your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.